0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of InCityCast. This week you have your host Phil, I'm here once again, I'm going to be talking about a pretty interesting film that came out in 2019, it's Escape Room, one of two films that I believe came out that year called Escape Room, uh, this one is directed by Adam Robertale. If that name rings a bell. He was the director of The Taking of Deborah Logan. Another film that we've covered on this podcast. He was also um, the director for Insidious The Last Key. And then of course he also directed the sequel for this film as well. Which was the Tournament of Champions. Uh, I may cover that at some point in the future. But we'll see how it goes. This is kind of uh, an interesting film I think to go over. I think... For me personally, this film is a complete missed opportunity, and it's a shame that the film ended the way that it did and that the sequel is what it is. However, we'll get into that towards the end of this episode. First, I just want to go over like some of the main plot points and some of the things that I think are done really, really well, and things that don't quite work for me personally. First let's get into the cast quite uh, an interesting and diverse cast Two people in particular are faces that you'll know extremely well the first one being deborah and wall who plays amanda harper you'll probably know her from true blood and of course she was also in the daredevil series the most recent uh, thing that you think would come to a lot of people's minds when you think of her and of course she was she was great in that show absolutely uh the other person is logan miller um he was in I think Love, Simon, he was also in um The Walking Dead, I believe, for a, uh, probably about a year. I think he played someone called Ben in that as well, funny enough. In this film, he plays Ben Miller. And then the only kind of major thing that I remember him being in as well was, I think, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. I believe he was in that as well. I haven't actually seen that, but I remember him from the the trailers for that film. So it just seems to be a face that crops up quite a lot. So it's kind of cool to see him in this also. Uh, Finally, to just skip over the rest of the cast, because obviously some of these people are quite important, Uh, we have Taylor Russell, who plays Zoe Davis, Uh, Jay Ellis, who plays Jason Walker, Tyler Labine, who plays Mike Nolan, then we also have Nick Dodani, who plays Danny Khan, and those are kind of the other people in the cast that really particularly matter. So, um, yeah, let's get stuck into this film, because I have some bigger thoughts as well uh, about sort of like the ending of the film in this where this goes so yeah i uh, generally i think like so the, the film kind of starts with uh, a pretty good introduction i think it's very fast paced sets a good tension good environment ben's like trying to solve a puzzle and at this point we don't know that he's like one of these central focal characters we just think he's some random guy and i have some opinions about this also um and then it's sort of like him trying to figure out a room and it feels very like on brand of I think what a lot of escape rooms tend to look at when you look at like pictures online and stuff I think this film definitely inspired a lot of real escape rooms Uh, I don't really know how popular this kind of was before this film came out Uh, I don't really remember people talking about going to escape rooms a lot but I think after this film a lot of people were really interested in escape rooms and uh, yeah it's kind of uh, kind of an interesting start and Obviously, it's kind of left on a bit of a cliffhanger, which, you know, we'll see what happens there later on. And then we're sort of introduced to Zoe. She's sort of sat in class. Uh, She looks very innocent and very compelling. A very good, like, introduction for uh, sort of a a main character, really. She is very much the the POV of this film. She is the central focal point for quite a lot of what's going on. Uh, She's in a lesson to get some very weird lecture uh, where the teacher just, you know, says some very generic, non-descriptive thing about what an actual lesson is. And then kind of ends it talking about something things to do with atoms. And it, this kind of reference a thing called, like, the Observer Theory. Which is a pretty interesting uh, scientific theory in itself. I don't think this film does anything to justify including this within its initial plot. I don't think it really leads to anywhere. I don't think it really you know enhances the story in any way it's just an interesting science fact that this film wants to hammer on home to people for whatever reason and i know there's probably some people that i think of some very artsy way of including this but it is not in my opinion in any way the most important or integral part of the film Uh, the characters the motivations or anything like that it becomes a very off-the-cuff thing that happens towards the end of the film and that is it Uh, But then we get introduced uh, to Jason, who's probably uh, interesting, quite a central focal point towards the beginning of the film. Um, A lot of things centred around him and his office, and he gets uh, a box, a black box. They all get a box, uh, and they all have an interesting card inside, and the card reads a very personal message, which you think uh, would relate to that person in particular, but I mean, by the end of the film, like the cards kind of do, but kind of don't at the same time. So I'm not quite sure how this links. However, the film does a very good job of leading these cards into the next characters. Uh, So for example, like Jason's card says, think outside of the box. And this is kind of followed by a scene with Zoe saying like, oh, well, the perfect box couldn't exist. So I think that kind of, you know, Add some interesting foreshadow, which is fine, um, and kind of adds some subtlety to to the fact that the boxes and, and things to do with these games are uh, linking and related to them as individuals specifically. I think it's kind of a weird off-the-cuff thing to, to add in, but hey-ho. And so it gets a card that says Open New Doors, which is followed by Ben opening his workplace to find his own box. And he has a card which says A Chance to Escape. And I think A Chance to Escape suits Ben more than the other cards suit each other. I kind of feel like, think Outside of the Box is kind of what Zoe's card should have been, because then I think that makes sense of her saying that there's no such thing as a perfect box, like it couldn't exist. It only makes sense when, when you think about the fact that these two separate characters' plots have been edited together, so she's kind of answering jason's box but no one else is answering each other's box it just feels like a bit of a weird mix-up to me i think it makes more sense if that was her card specifically um and then obviously her card which is open new doors um i mean i guess that also kind of fits to who she is and what she does. by the end of the film she's trying to find like the exit out i don't know kind of odd but i think ben's card like makes the most sense and it's very interesting to see how the three approach the puzzle differently. So sort of Zoe thinks of, like, um, sort of her brain and how to crack it naturally, which shows, like, a really good cognitive ability. Um, and I think it's kind of set her up to be the brains of the puzzles in the future and kind of shows her to be flawless. But we do get an interesting uh, scene of, of trauma to show that she's not necessarily um, uh, immune from any kind of struggle. And it's kind of interesting as well because, like, I think... She's very much someone who's in the pursuit of knowledge, and I think knowledge is a very interesting thing, because obviously they say knowledge is power, and I think power is usually a really interesting way to deflect from trauma and to make someone feel stronger than they are, because, you know, they're the smartest person in the room, so therefore no one's going to question that they have the faculties together, when there's probably a lot of stuff going on that kind of would contradict um, that. Um, Jason has a very interesting one, so he sort of looks on YouTube I guess to figure out how to crack the box which is odd because one that initially would imply that someone has escaped and uploaded a video on how to crack that box specifically but also I think it's very interesting because it shows that he doesn't necessarily have the cognitive skill himself to do that but he will use other people for the answers and this is kind of a really nice linking thing to his character throughout this film And Ben sort of hits things with a hammer, which I think is kind of funny. It's that kind of brute force desperation. Again, kind of links to his character quite a lot by the end of the film. It's kind of weird that we we don't get to see any of that with any of the other characters, which makes it very odd. So a lot of the uh, background information we get about them comes throughout the film. And sometimes I think this can clog up a little bit too much space. But also, I guess they want to get into the action and not spend too much time on like Character development in the first like 15 minutes, but I think like this this transitions a really good solid way of hitting all those notes, telling a story without having to bog people down with backstories. So I think more things like this could have been weaved into the beginning of the film, so that we can get a bit of a, a feeling for each of the people, or at least commit to one thing and only give us one POV, one person's perspective. So then when everyone comes together. meeting characters as they meet them you know so we're sort of as alienated to everyone as as they do it almost feels weird that these three people in particular are the only people we get real insight to it's kind of a spoiler because it kind of makes it feels like these are the only three characters we should care about throughout this film which i think forces the audience to detach themselves quite a lot from the rest of the cast and in many ways that kind of gives away that these people are expendable it kind of reminds me a bit of, like, Final Destination, where it's like, we have this big catastrophe thing, but we only focus on these specific, like, you know, five or six people. You know, it shows that, but then even within that group, there's an element of, like, oh, we only have these three point of views. So, you know, that the rest of them are going to die because no one cares about what's happening to them. So, yeah, it's kind of a weird sort of parameter this film has set up from the beginning. However, as we get into it, uh, we get this kind of interesting scene with Amanda. She sort of goes through the check-in. We sort of see a bit of the procedure. And then Danny sort of swiftly follows behind. Kind of weird because we don't get to see his introduction. So he instantly kind of comes off really suspicious. Because we don't get to see him be checked in the same way despite coming in after her. And I don't know if this was intentional by uh, the writers and director. But it comes across that way because it instantly creates a disconnect of what a normal procedure looks like and then someone who just seems to dodge the bullet. And we don't get to see Danny before that, so we can't assume then that he was there before. Bit weird. Uh, so the then sort of in the waiting room, and this is kind of uh, an interesting point, we get to uh, introduce ourselves to the rest of the characters and, you know, see sort of how they bounce off and work towards each other. And in this moment, I kind of like Mike the most. I think Mike comes off as the most relatable and human uh, i think jason goes a little bit too defensive i hate that kind of thing it always feels a bit weird to me in films uh danny is kind of like a nerd and it, yeah it kind of works it, it's it's all kind of it's all good at this point it kind of sets really good dynamics between everybody and yeah they kind of realize that the room that they're actually in is actually the first room so they start to discover what's going on things start to heat up it all starts from uh Ben trying to take off the um door handle and he realizes that there's like a an oven and this kind of sits on some crazy heat scenario where things sort of kick off kind of a cool room uh, really good design one thing I will say about this film is every room that they make is very well designed it looks incredible the set pieces are great the acting throughout is relatively okay um the Panic seems somewhat genuine for the most part. Sometimes it's a little bit overdone, but I guess that's kind of something that can happen when you, you know, try to create drama or something that's not really scary uh, at the moment. Some people do it better than others, that's all I'm going to say. And yeah, it's kind of cool. So they sort of realize that they have to um, fill the coasters with water. This is down to following the rules, a little message they get from a phone. And this kind of opens like some trapdoor in the escape. Uh, we get to see here that Jason is a little bit more of like, I will kill anyone for the sake of survival kind of guy, but uh, yeah, it comes off a little bit strong to begin with, almost arrogant, but I guess that's kind of the point. It was an interesting first room. I had to give big props as well to like, again, with the props and stuff, the clues are really good to sort of the newspaper that says like five people die uh, in a fire. I think that kind of thing is really, really cool. Uh, we get to see a little bit of Zoe as well, having these scars uh, that kind of, Shows why she's really scared of stuff. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Um, yes, yeah, so they escape through this hatch. They go into the second room. So, the second room is kind of like a cabin in the woods. Everything's kind of ice and frozen over. And then, essentially, they have to first get out of the cabin, which is done through like a seven code lock. Uh, kind of nice. This links to Ben's past as the clue is Rudolph. And that was a song that they were singing when he had a car accident. Kind of weird in this film because. Obviously, this is meant to be around Thanksgiving, which I think in America is somewhat close to Christmas time. Uh, and then obviously that is a specifically Christmas moment. So I guess it was intended in terms of the game maker's intention to have this be around that period of time. But also uh, kind of weird how a lot of this film is set around festive seasons, yet it doesn't look in any way festive. <laughs> uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so they essentially escape and they realise that they're in this like frozen dome with a frozen lake and, yeah, things get cold. They have ice, cold air blowing through. It's all, like, dramatic. And they go around searching for clues to try and figure out how to escape. Of course, Mike makes a very good point here as well, talking about the extreme heat to extreme cold and how that can like make people ill. Uh, Super interesting dynamic there. And, of course, they get pretty desperate in this place uh tensions grow a lot more here because of you know i guess like the survival instinct kicks in and jason makes a very good point about like how people become you know crazy and delirious and stuff because of hypothermia it's all very cool it's like a very naturalistic fear of um things potentially going wrong so they do find some cool uh clues so they find uh, a compass um which seems to point south instead of north which links to this boat thing that they found where it says, uh, like, the true north is a lie or something like that. Uh, kind of cool. And then they find uh, a fishing rod and a magnet, which brings out this big cube full of ice and a key in the middle. Uh, it's all really cool. It's all so well thought out. I actually think it's a really cool um, design for a real-life escape room, really. It's it's amazing, actually. And, obviously, they, they try to share the coat, but also um melts the ice whilst the room is getting colder which is very very difficult but they do this to get the key so they can escape this room is uh definitely one of my favorite designs i think it looks really simple really cool gives you that sort of camp crystal lake but with ice kind of feeling you know i i really dig it quite a lot although it does open with just a door which i think is the least creative exit but then again, it's either a door or like a hatch quite a lot of the time, so it's kind of take your pick at the moment. Uh, but they go to room 3. Room 3 is pretty cool. It's very trippy. It's like an upside-down like bar. And obviously, it sort of routinely uh, plays the song Downtown, uh, as the floor starts to fall away from them. So they have to climb around all the obstacles. Uh, it's really, again, really well done how they did this, because quite clearly, like, they had to have a real set, was bar was upside down but obviously it just wasn't as deep as probably what it appeared on screen I'd like to know how they did it to be honest Um, I will say one thing I do think the fall itself looked really fake Uh, it looked a little bit too CGI almost to the point where it kind of looks like those fake floors that you'll get at like theme parks and stuff uh, the imitator drop so that's kind of awkward but but that aside like I, I really enjoyed this room uh, there was a lot of really good tension. If you're afraid of heights like me, like it's, it's super creepy to have to fl- fall away from you like this. And I say the goal in this room was to kind of uh, find all the numbered um, Morse code things to find the, the safe combination. And then inside the safe was the 8Q, uh, which acts as like a doorknob. Kind of interesting how a door handle is missing when you get a door handle at the beginning of the film. Kind of makes you wonder if they kept hold of that. It would have made the things easier. You know, I, I I would assume this sort of stuff is intentional. You know, you can do it the easy way or the hard way. Um, For example, if they would have, I don't know, took something hot from one room to another, they might have made the uh, freezing of the key a lot easier. You never know. All right, yeah, super cool. And so, unfortunately, Amanda dies during this. Very, very sad. Uh, she falls to a death. She ends up dropping the eight ball onto the actual uh, floor, and then they said to leave it. Don't know why you'd want to leave it, because... And then you're just admitting everyone's gonna die. So she does the brave thing and she sacrifices herself. Very, very noble. Uh and it's a very sad end, actually. I kinda said she died a really like Amanda as a character, and I like Deborah Wool as an actress. So she needs to see her go so early. But yeah, it was a, a really cool room. Going this now uh, going through this now it takes you to the fourth room, uh which is sort of like a medical room. Kind of like a hospital, really. And it's kind of odd because it, it almost gets portrayed in this film that each room is like designed for someone in particular. Um, and this room feels like it's a blend of everybody, which is kind of odd. So it's, it's kind of hard to tell the intention behind some of the room designs because it feels sometimes like there's an easter egg for everybody to take away. And this room is one of them. And in this we get to see some background for Danny, some background for Amanda that we didn't fully fully get uh information on, which is a shame because it means like I didn't even talk about Danny dying in the ice room. Oh my god. Yeah, so Danny died in the ice thing. All I'm gonna say is it was uh tragic, of course, they died, but it was extremely choreographed within the cinematography. Like the camera loomed on him way too long and you think, yeah, he's gonna die. And unfortunately that kind of stuff gets uh very readable when a lot of directors, I assume, uh in input those types of things to be a surprise to catch people off guard and they never do, man. They, they leave it for too long. It's just never working. Anyway, so in this medical room, they see medical files. Medical files, again, gets information of where they all come from. And this is where they kind of realize that actually they're all there because they've all survived. They're all sole survivors. And therefore, they have this linking thing in common. It's a kind of an interesting angle, actually, because essentially it, the, the biggest thing that I can compare this film to really is like Saw. And this is my biggest gripe about this franchise, really. This franchise could have been the next Saw franchise, except without the gore and essentially for a new like generation of people. That seems more relevant and stuff. So we could make bigger, you know, commentary on the way things are today through these films. This could have been, you know, the the reinvigoration of that. Instead of a torture room, instead it is a puzzle room. You know, it's an experience and things like that, kind of interest me a lot. And it's a shame that this film really didn't sort of excel with any of that. And it again, what makes the sequel for this film even harder to digest. This film had a really big opportunity to do that, and maybe in a way they knew that and wanted to steer away from it as much as possible. But to me, that just kind of cheapens the whole thing, and and ruins it you know there's nothing wrong with referencing something that is good and something that works as long as you can bring a new and interesting idea to it and i think that this is a new interesting idea it's a very big shame that this film didn't capitalize on on where it could have headed by making it essentially the next the saw franchise essentially and it would have been cool or at least you know build it up to be something a bit more than than what it was and, you know, like with Saw, a lot of those people had uh, taken advantage of things in their life or not, you know, appreciated life enough. And this is their test to regain some of that, um, you know, some of that feeling of of life back and, and wanting to have value again in their own life. And with this, it could be Saw survivors who are used to test that feeling. It's almost like the extension of Saw, if that makes sense, you know. Saw makes people into a survivor. Escape rooms can make survivors into. Whatever's next. It would have been pretty cool. But alas, we didn't get that. Instead we got some information about. Why there were sole survivors. And we get a five minute timer. And uh, this is where kind of Jason takes over a little bit more. Throughout the film and tries to take charge. He sort of convinces Mike to. Uh be electrocuted essentially until he dies which is uh an awful shame uh because it was for no for no good reason essentially it wasn't about raising the heart rate it was about lowering it so yeah it's such a waste of life but that's that's how it is in jason's mind it's choosing to survive which means choosing to listen to people and, and falling for those types of things zoe so gets on a, a bit of a crazy rampage she thinks that the way out is not the real way out, and that there's a way to escape the room differently, which makes sense, I guess. She breaks all the cameras, and again, she references this thing with the observer theory. She thinks that, well, if you can't observe them playing the game, then they can essentially become, like, statistical anomalies that um, can do something that will bypass the system because they're not being observed. And I get it, but it's a very, very loose loose uh, reference to the observer theory and again I don't understand why this was even used as a metaphor throughout this film she could have just come to this conclusion and done it herself without having this included it's just it almost feels pseudoscientific even if it's really scientific but it kind of takes away from one how interesting uh, the observer theory is and two It takes away from her smartness because it almost feels like she's kind of like what a flatmate says. She's just making things up, making words up. That's what it sounds like because it doesn't correlate to what people expect when someone goes through like a logical thought process. It's just like, oh, this random scientific theory that I remembered, here it is. And now it must apply to this everyday occurrence in life. Yeah. Most people don't feel that way. Most people don't think that way. It's kind of a weird choice. But alas, she stays behind and Jason and Ben move on to the next puzzle. Uh, then we get to room five. Uh, this is a very trippy room. They get drugged with something and then they have to find the antidote. And essentially the camera does some very cool stuff here. It gets very trippy, very like distorted. Uh, and we get like a fast bit of comedy and real um. Weightlifting throughout this film, you know, I think like Ben tries to have as much comedy as possible. He tries to be the comic relief. It's kind of his character in general, and kind of what Logan does quite a lot in his uh, his films. But this felt the most um, like realistic and genuine moment for comedy because it's you know it's a ridiculous drug scenario, and they find the antidote. And it's kind of weird because then this echoes what happens next. When Zoe is uh, found alone in the next room, uh, she is counted by the the people who come in as like a body. So like, they didn't know how many bodies were in the room, especially because she broke the cameras. So how did they know how many antidotes to put into the final room? Unless they only ever intended one person to get the antidote? Uh, which is kind of a cop-out, really. Because, you know, leading into now the end game of where this all ramps up, If the intention behind these people are to take soul survivors, to put them through difficult challenges in order to find out whether things are pure skill or whether people survive because of skill or luck or whatever, it comes off really counterproductive to instead artificially decide who Renner is by only having one antidote towards the end of the film. That to me seems kind of odd as a choice. Um, I think it would make sense more that maybe... There was only one person that couldn't have it, and therefore they had to find some other way of figuring that out. But it just kind of seems very convenient plot-wise that it's a 50-50 thing. Uh, because that's just what you get handed. But actually, it just doesn't really make sense in terms of the bigger plot because the whole point is that they're trying to figure out if it's if it's luck off skill, and all that does is create a scenario where people could determine who the winner is purely from, like, a democratic process. Like, what about if they just voted? Or drew straws? Or anything that isn't in any way skillful or look-based? I mean, maybe drawing straws is, like, look-based, but neither option particularly feels very good. You know, it doesn't feel very rewarding regardless. So I think that that's just kind of a plot thing to make the ending a bit more interesting, rather than it sort of making factual logical sense throughout and it's kind of odd because this film puts a lot of emphasis on logical decision making rational thinking you know you're solving puzzles and then to have a thing at the end which is kind of just a look of the draw kind of undermines a lot that you know a little bit and i think the film tries to touch on it a little bit but not enough to justify that in my opinion Uh, ben then finally speaks to the game master not the game creator that's kind of a hint for the next film, of course. Uh, he basically talks about like how humans love watching other humans struggle, gladiators, that type of thing, people fighting to the death. We've seen this quite a lot of times now: Hunger Games, Squid Game, all these types of, you know, things, even hostile to some degree, um, sore to some aspect. You know, it's nothing new to have an observer watching for entertainment or for other people's entertainment. So, I don't think the ending is in any way groundbreaking. The plot, overall, then, isn't in any way groundbreaking, it's not doing anything new, it's kind of just recycling a lot of the same material that's already been done. And I think is actually, the ending is almost kind of cheated by the fact that the Game Master tries to kill Ben, because he's just like, oh, well, oh, so like doesn't get a prize, you know, something like that. Therefore, like, saying, like, oh yeah, well, we made a good show, but, like, we're not actually going to give you anything. And that kind of really ruins it, I think, for me. Because I think the whole point of these people is that they want to have a genuine fair competition with people from different backgrounds, but all have one thing in common. And then basically saying, actually, it doesn't matter who or anyone wins anyway. You know, maybe, yeah, like, it kind of like our men said, like, a TV, like, people just get bored and maybe it's all just for ratings and for the show. But, like, surely a part of any competition, you know, if you think about other game shows that exist... You know, even something a bit more voyeuristic, like Big Brothers and stuff like that, you want the winner to win, and you want the winner to have a prize that, you know, feels rewarding as a viewer, because you think, I've invested my time rooting for this person, probably these people have invested time donating money to this, this person, you know, if you take like a Hunger Games scenario or something like that, um, it's kind of then a bit spoiled to just say well actually you know they don't get anything i don't think that that's very realistic in my mind so for me the ending does absolutely nothing for me Uh, and then we get this sort of like weird attached thing on the end where we sort of see um ben's now like some regional salesperson and that's kind of cool it shows like an experience like this can shape someone and make it more driven and more uh, active to go out there and, and get a new life for themselves you know that kind of saw reference again you know appreciation for life and zoe becomes sort of obsessed with the game of the process and she tries to convince ben to join her ben concedes this almost instantly uh which is kind of odd he's just like no absolutely not and then he's like oh yeah okay i'm in (laughs) it's like okay that took absolutely uh no um no effort whatsoever i mean hell he didn't even get any money for it last time so yeah uh, and there's also a weird bit as well where uh, after they're in a the hospital they they take Zoe to the actual place and they realise that actually none of this building exists. It's all just empty and is it all in your mind? People run drugs, that kind of thing. I hate this also. Uh, I think that it just doesn't make sense to me. It tries to add a little bit too much of like a paranormal element onto it where it's like all just a figure of your imagination. I don't like that. Uh, I like the fact that this is more grounded and gritty and real that just appeals to be a bit more again it's where this film just sort of uh, doesn't quite understand or appreciate the material that it has and that it's, it's that they've made which is just kind of a shame i mean they do give you some little anagram at the end you know a uh, reference the, the doctor so that's kind of interesting to give you something to chew over also Tang yu apparently according to the credits was the name of the games master uh, I had no idea about that, because they never even bothered to explain that, so that's kind of bizarre. But yeah, I think in the end, like, how I'm going to sum up this film is that it's a film that had so much potential to become something so much bigger. It could have been the extension of the Saw franchise. It could have been the next logical step in conclusion. Instead, we didn't And it almost feels like the people who worked on this film had a lot of attention to detail, a lot of love and craft in making the film visually look amazing. To make the rooms look unique and different, with purpose, with real thought behind everything that's in there, all the clues. You know, there's pretty decent character development for most of the cast in this film. It's all there, man. It's a full package, and yet it just flops completely at the end. And that to me is just the biggest shame because it just doesn't make sense. And then they try to patch on some potentiality of a sequel at the end. And one thing that I always know about horror films is that when they're trying to push for a sequel, it's usually the case that they shouldn't get a sequel because, you know, they're, they're hoping that it gets enough of a draw that they can justify uh, spending a few more thousand to, to crank out another one and usually the lesser quality, like we see with the sequel. I think this film should have just let it stand on its own legs, and then let the audience decide whether they want a sequel. And this film could have been one of those that people would have said, yes, I want to see more from this franchise. This is interesting. I want to see another film with as much care and craft and detail as this. But instead, it didn't because I got more concerned with trying to attach something onto the end of the film to give people uh, the, the green lights so that the sequel was going to happen regardless. And, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to cover the sequel on this channel, to be honest, because I really don't think there's a massive lot of substance to it. It feels very much just a rehash of the first one, but with less detail, less care. The set pieces are somewhat decent in that film, but the Tournament of Champions idea is a film too soon. This is a film that should have been done at least three to four films in. They should have done more films with more commentary, more teases into the world of what's going on and these people, and introduce all of these characters, so then when we finally get the big team-up movie at the end, uh, we all have a stake, and maybe we all have a personal favourite that we want to win. Yeah? We can be then... In the shoes of the people who watch the stuff, we become them, right? And then, you know, you got a big political commentary there. Instead, it just jumps the gun, and because of that, it wastes a massive opportunity. And it, it's such a shame; it, it really, really is. So yeah, this is my thoughts on Countdown, released in 2019, by the way. One of two that came out that like, year, but uh, this one, I believe, is the much preferred one, and I would agree with that. Uh, do let me know what you think. Uh, I would rate this film a solid 3 out of 5. I think that's fair. I think it's just above the middle. Um, solid beginning, middle, flops towards the end, unfortunately. Uh, but I do enjoy this film, and I will watch it a few other times, and I recommend people to watch it. I do regularly, because I think I mean, when they look at things from my perspective, they could potentially take some away from that, but that's just me. <laughs> Uh, yeah do me really know what you think uh, check out the link within the description check out the socials you'll find the link to Instagram to Twitter to the YouTube page which I have not uploaded any of these episodes on there for a little bit yet I will get around to that at some point uh, you'll also get a link to the PayPal uh, if anyone wants to donate and support a small-time podcaster like me you can do that via PayPal donate as little or as much as you like which would be greatly appreciated and will help me uh, create future content. I have some plans I'd like to do. Don't always have the funds to do that. Anything that people could donate would be a great help. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to me as we talked about Escape Room. I'll see you all in the next episode.